The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So if you're just joining us, or if you've missed a few of the past few weeks here at First Hamilton, we've been moving uh, quite slowly through the Lord's Prayer, looking at it line by line. And, uh, but the overarching kind of theme of our series and the way that we're talking about prayer is by comparing two different postures of prayer. Uh, default prayer and kingdom prayer. And default prayer is the position that most of us just automatically take when we pray to God. And it begins with ourselves as the center. We pray about us and our lives. And in fact, isn't this what Jesus taught us to do? He says, you have not because you ask not. However, what we've been seeing in the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus teaches us not just what to pray, but how to pray. It's a different posture before God that opens ourselves up to him. And it's kind of like this. You know, have you ever been to an orchestra before? seen a live performance. You know that moments before the beginning of the performance, there are, there is one instrument that begins by playing a note. The oboe plays an A. And then the rest of the orchestra rises in song, one note, an A, to tune to that instrument so that everyone is playing with the same pitch. In prayer, Default prayer is when we sit in that oboe position. We play that A, and we ask God to tune his priorities to ours. Kingdom prayer, in the way that Jesus teaches, the Lord's prayer, is the opposite. Every line in this prayer is inviting us to see God in the oboe chair, playing that A, as we tune ourselves to his priorities in our lives and in our world. And perhaps one of the most transformational or even controversial of the lines in this prayer is this one, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'd imagine most of us in this room know about forgiveness. In fact, it's actually one of the first things that we teach children is the need to ask for forgiveness when we do something wrong. Stealing a toy, pushing our sister. This is very fresh in the regling household at this moment. But the question that some people are asking today is, is forgiveness overrated? Is it helpful or hurtful? And what do they mean by this? Well, there's a New York Times article that was written on, uh, on the Me Too movement. And a commenter on, the, on this article wrote something like this. She said, The notion that the victims of crime, oppression, and assault must forgive their oppressors, oppressors piles more oppression and harshness on the victim. 
Insisting that she forgive plays into the sickness of patriarchal, misogynistic, male supremacist religions that blame women. Forgiveness is overrated. And she goes on, and I didn't put this on the screen, but she says this also. It doesn't heal the body or the mind. Let the criminal ask his gods for forgiveness. If there are any gods. Instead of talking about victims must forgive, we should be tattooing the words of their crimes on their foreheads. This would help keep women and children safer. What this commenter is appealing to is uh, forgiveness enabling more oppression. Like a get-out-of-jail-free card, asking for forgiveness just automatically levels the playing field and brings about no transformation or healing. Is this commenter right? Is forgiveness only perpetuating the problems in our world? Or is Jesus right? That forgiveness is central, central to the healing and the flourishing of our world. Why does Jesus pray this, or ask us to pray this? Well, let's look at it this morning by asking a few questions about forgiveness. Why do we need forgiveness? What is forgiveness? And how can we actually forgive someone? Now, one of the most popular movie series of all time, drumroll, Star Wars, right? Star Wars. Has anyone heard of Star Wars before? I guess a few people have. That's good. Um, I, when I was younger, unfortunately, they were releasing episodes one, two, and three. And so my first introduction to Star Wars, at the time we thought they were amazing. Only when we watched them again did we realize how terrible they were. Actually, I like episode two. Um, Anyway, these three movies uh, are, uh, you know, carrying on of the old, uh, old movies, uh, four, five, episodes four, five, and six, and, and they're centering around the character Anakin. Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker. Isn't, Anakin is so great in episode one, isn't he? His story is full of potential. He's such an underdog. Right? Growing up on the sandy planet of Tatooine, getting discovered, and then moving up the ranks of the Jedi, becoming the most important Jedi that the galaxy had ever seen. But we quickly learn that Anakin's life is mostly a tragedy. The one who at one point was expected to lead the galaxy as a Jedi pursuing peace descends to the depths of the Sith. The question is then, how does this happen? How does Anakin slowly transform into the man behind the Darth Vader mask? He doesn't pray the Lord's Prayer. If you know the Star Wars movies well, you could recall moment after moment where Anakin experiences pain and loss, and he didn't know how to face it. 
For example, in episode 2, when Anakin goes to find his mother and discovers that she has been tortured and abused by the Tusken Raiders, naturally and righteously, he is outraged and grief-stricken. He was in so much inner pain and grief about the loss of his mother that he doesn't know what to do with it. And what Anakin discovers is what each person, each one of us eventually discovers, is that intentionally or unintentionally, we will be hurt by other people. We will experience pain or loss at the hands of others or as a result of living in a broken world. Whether it's on the school playground where mean words are spoken, betrayal by friends in the school hallway, in a workplace where a boss mistreats you, with friends, a spouse, We could go and talk about layer upon layer of people, situations, institutions that cause us pain and loss. And if we're honest, we could even go to the places, the times that we have hurt others, that we have been a contributing factor in the pain and the loss and the trauma of other people. If the common commenter of that New York Times article got their way, I think most of us, if not all, would have our foreheads tattooed with something. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who served as the deputy chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, takes this question a step further and asks us, so what do we then do with the pain and the loss we experience? Listen to what he says. Are you hurt and suffering? Is the injury new? Or is it an old, unhealed wound? Know that what was done to you was wrong, unfair, and undeserved. You are right to be outraged. And it is perfectly normal to want to hurt back when you have been hurt. But hurting rarely satisfies. He goes on. We think it will, but it doesn't. If I slap you after you slap me, it does not lessen the sting that I feel on my own face. Nor does it diminish my sadness as to the fact that you have struck me. Retaliation gives at best only momentary respite from our pain. The only way to experience healing and peace is to forgive. Until we can forgive, we remain locked in our pain and locked out of the possibility of experiencing healing and freedom. Locked out of the possibility of being at peace, we will remain controlled by the person who harmed us. How do these words sit with you? What comes to mind for you first when you hear Desmond Tutu ask you, are you hurt and suffering? Is the injury new or is it an unhealed 
wound. Who do you have in your thoughts? If we continue with the Star Wars illustration, take Anakin Skywalker as a warning to us. Because Anakin did not pursue forgiveness and healing, did he? Rather, he chose to internalize the story of his pain and to pay back and take revenge. Time after time, he takes revenge. And it never really gets rid of the root of his pain and loss. And eventually, Darth Vader is born. John Smed sums up why we need forgiveness when he puts it like this. He says, sin is a toxic waste that lasts forever if not removed by forgiveness. A world without forgiveness is a place without grace. It's a place without healing. It's a place without transformation. But there is another way. As Desmond Tutu points out to us, we can choose to move towards forgiveness. But what does that mean? What is forgiveness? Well, the word that Jesus use, uses in this prayer, forgive us our debts. It's, it, to, to forgive a debt is to owe someone something. This is why I like debt rather than trespasses in the Lord's Prayer. Debt, I think, is a more accurate uh, um, in, uh, interpretation of the word in the original language because it, it means to owe someone something. It means there's a balance that is off in the relationship. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells another story about forgiveness when he tells a parable about an unforgiving servant. And in this story, there's a servant who racks up a debt with a master that is outrageous. A debt of 10,000 talents, which translated into our modern language is about 17 years of full-time work. Imagine 17 years that you owe someone. That is insane. And when the master calls the servant in to pay the debt, the servant can't. There's no way. Which is terrible news in, the, in that time and place for the, the servant and even for the servant's family. There were massive consequences. And so the servant goes before the master and pleads with him to cancel the debt. And the master does. The master cancels the entire debt, puts the servant back in balance with him. You know, the, the word that Jesus uses in that story for cancel is the same word as forgiveness. And so to forgive means literally to cancel someone's debt. You can see then that forgiveness is more than just uttering the words, I forgive you. It is deeper, it is harder, it is much more complex, and it asks so much more of us. Tim Keller clarifies why forgiveness is so hard when he says this. He says, the essence of forgiveness is absorbing pain rather than giving it. Absorbing pain 
rather than giving it. Revenge is giving pain. Forgiveness is absorbing pain. Now, what does this look like? Well, imagine that I invited you over for coffee after church. And I served you some warm carrot cake right out of the oven. Then I got my French press out. And I served you a really nice cup of small batch, freshly roasted, fair trade Guatemalan French press. I even put it in my favorite Starbucks mug for you. I'd imagine at that point, with your carrot cake and your coffee in hand, you'd be pretty glad that you took me up on my invitation to invite you over for coffee after church. Just so you know, this is not the reality of the Regling household. But what if that coffee was just a little bit too hot? And when you took that first sip, it burned your tongue. And you dropped the cup of coffee on the carrot cake, breaking my Starbucks mug, ruining my, my cake, staining my carpet, and even my couch. Our relationship at that point would be off balance. And I would have a choice. I could say to you, come on. I told you it was hot. You were the one who asked for it black. You have to pay for this. You did this. You pay for it. I need a new Starbucks mug. I need you to clean my carpet and my couch. You have to balance this out. Or... I could say, don't worry about it. I can imagine it was an accident. I forgive you. But the pain is still there. Either you absorb it or I do. In this case, mostly monetary pain, money pain. I'd have to pay to replace my Starbucks cup. I'd have to pay to clean my carpet and perhaps even replace it. Forgiving others, we always have to remember that there is pain that is being absorbed. Revenge is about giving pain. Forgiveness is about absorbing pain. And when we forgive or in the process of forgiving others, it's important to remember this because oftentimes we don't recognize that pain fully. We don't really move towards true forgiveness because we haven't aired out all of the stuff that's under the rug. And so we can't, we can't not tell the story. We have to tell the story. You would have no idea how special that Starbucks cup was to me if I didn't tell you. Desmond Tutu puts it like this. He says, telling the story is how we get our dignity back after we've been harmed. It's how we begin to take back what was taken from us and how we begin to understand and make meaning out of our hurt. This is important because sometimes people don't even realize that they've caused us pain or that they've hurt us. And this is an incredibly important step in forgiveness. Almost every Christian I've met, including myself, really stinks at telling the story. We feel like we have to just suck it up and forgive because Jesus has taught us to forgive. And that's true. Don't get me wrong. But we have to name 
the hurt, or we will never really be able to forgive and heal. This is, telling the story is not intended to heap up guilt on another person. It's not part of revenge, and we have to remember that. Rather, it's a process in bringing to the surface all of the complexities of our human condition and naming them together so that both parties can pursue forgiveness and healing. Whenever we extend, ask for forgiveness or forgive someone, we will always have to recognize our own part in the story. There, will, there is almost always, 99.9999% of the time, things that each person has contributed to make that relationship off balance. Telling the story brings these things out into the open. Forgiveness is absorbing pain rather than giving it. But notice also that Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As we forgive. Not if we forgive. Not regardless of us forgiving, but as we forgive our debtors. What does this tell us? Well, there is, I think this tells us that there's no conditions attached to forgiveness. You know, in another place where uh, I think it's leading up to that story about um, forgiveness in Matthew 18, the disciples of Jesus ask him, okay, well, how many times do we have to forgive people who have wronged us? And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven times, meaning forever forgive. Forgive us as we forgive. See, some of us think that we are, for, we are forgiven by God because we have forgiven others. We often see our offering or receiving forgiveness as something that earns us God's forgiveness. It's a performance thing. If we're good at forgiveness, then God will forgive us. But if our attitude to forgiveness resembles this in any way, if we feel like God forgives us only because we actually practice the, the work of forgiveness in our relationships, then we will have this constant struggle in our relationship with God. We will feel like we have to perform. And when pain and loss are too great to move towards forgiveness all at once, we will feel like we are second rate. We will feel unworthy of God's forgiveness, and we will struggle with our assurance. If our own forgiveness is based on our performance, then we will also eventually wear out. It will take too much out of us because it'll all fall on our shoulders. Our whole salvation would depend on our performance. Forgiveness is not earned, which is why Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. On the other hand, forgive us our debts regardless of us forgiving our debtors is also wrong. Because some of us think of, that our forgiveness with God is unconditional, which is right. 
but we can never disconnect that from the practice of forgiving others. I may be forgiven by God, some of us may say, but that doesn't mean that I have to forgive Sally at school for saying something mean to me. Or you fill in the blank. Because they don't deserve my forgiveness. They haven't shown any remorse. They don't look like they're sorry, so why should I forgive them? But when we have this attitude, then we actually become gods ourselves, choosing who and how people receive forgiveness. And isn't that just another way that we seek revenge and try to keep people in our control? Forgiveness is not earned. Forgive us our debts because I forgive my debtor is wrong. Forgive us our debts regardless of us forgiving our debtors is wrong. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And why does it have to be both? It's because forgiveness, if you remember, is pain absorbed. And how on earth could we absorb all the pain we experience in our lives only if we get the power to forgive from Jesus. Think about Jesus. He never did anything wrong. He never sinned. And yet, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, absorbed, took upon himself our sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. He was falsely accused. He was treated poorly in an unjust trial, and he was put to death without deserving it. But instead of giving back what Jesus felt was taken from him, instead of seeking revenge, Jesus chose to forgive us. He forgave us even on the cross. In one of the Gospels, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. When you see Jesus in that way, when you see Jesus as the one who has, in all the things that you have done and the things that you don't know that you have done, giving you forgiveness, unconditional forgiveness, in the midst of the pain and the suffering that you are heaping up upon him, it will change you. Our debt through Christ before God is gone. It's gone. And we are forgiven. We are made right with God. And this means that we will live in harmony with God forever. All because of Jesus. When we see Christ on the cross in this way, when you see this as a resource for us in our lives that we can go to, that we can be assured of our forgiveness because Christ died and rose again for us, absorbing our pain and the pain of the world, then we will have a deep, deep, 
deep well to go to when we have to absorb the pain of others. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's a both and. Forgiveness is by far the hardest thing in our lives. I'm not going to beat around the bush about that one. It is hard, and it takes time. And it's easy and natural and far more immediately satisfying for us to take revenge, to spite people, and to pay back. But that ends in destruction. In Christ, forgiveness is another way. The way of grace and the way of healing. The way where everyone, everyone has an opportunity to be transformed. If we learn forgiveness the way Jesus teaches us, if we can practice it through the power of Christ and Christ's Spirit in us, then we can be like Jesus for other people. Just as Jesus has healed us, so us forgiving others can be healing, an opportunity of healing for them. If we learn to forgive like this, in our current world, Christians will be a force to reckon with. Take the words of Psalm 130, verse 4. But with you, God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Revenge is no match for forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, as we consider forgiveness together this morning and remember what you have done to forgive us, descending even to the depths of hell on our behalf, may this transform us from the inside out. May we pursue forgiveness in all of our relationships when pain and suffering arise. May we work as agents of reconciliation in our world, showing another way, the way towards healing and restoration for all creation. Father, may you show us more clearly each and every day through the cross that the way toward healing is not with revenge but with forgiveness give us your spirit that we may do this even though it's hard in jesus name amen